Let's turn in the Scriptures to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 8 this morning. 1 John chapter 3 verse 8. And before we read God's Word, let's pray and ask for His blessing upon us. Our gracious Father, thank You once again for speaking to us and revealing Yourself to us, even revealing Your Son and manifesting Him to us uh, to save us from the works of the devil and destroy Him. And so, Father, we're thankful for the victory of Christ that we study this, this morning. I pray that You would turn our hearts to hear You speak and to not harden them. And grant us faith that we would see Christ. And so give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And Father, finally we ask that You would humble Your servant and grant to him the unction of Your Spirit. None of us would hear Him but hear Christ, Your Son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. These are God's words. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. Those are God's words. This morning... As we come to the Lord's table, we'll sit at His table. We see in the passage before us a reason to praise the Lord for His great victory. It was the devil that tempted man unto sin, for which man uh, man then did sin. And uh, wherefore, as by one man... Sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And there is in this world, and children, you need to know this too, but all of us need to know, in this world is a kingdom of darkness. And that kingdom has been granted by God, power. Power. The power of darkness over much of this world. And if you're still in your sins today, you're under that power. That power of darkness. And the kingdom of darkness. But what a blessing it is to consider and to know that the leader of this kingdom, the one who is full of darkness, is brought down and defeated. A mighty victory over his kingdom and that power of darkness. And we remember that as we look at our first point this morning, the devil's kingdom. The devil's kingdom. The verse before us, verse 8, assumes the devil has a kingdom. That it is absolutely, truly real. And have you ever considered all the names of Satan in the Bible? The accuser, the adversary, Satan, of course. Uh, The wicked one, the evil one, the old serpent, 
the father of lies, the prince of this world, the God of this world, Lucifer, prince of the power of the air, the tempter, the dragon, the enemy, Beelzebub, and Belial. And maybe there's some more. But sometimes even in the church, people believe because uh, believe again because they they believe they have to see it for it to be real. And because we don't see Satan, we often think, well, you know, he's not really that real. And we don't treat him as if he is real. And there's many in the church who will believe that Satan is a myth. They don't believe he's real. It may be, may, and that may not be any of you, because Satan is real. He's a real creature. Creature. Satan is an angel created by Jehovah. And as an angel, he is a, a created being of intelligence, of power, strength, abilities greater than man. Hebrews 1 says, And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? We learn there that all angels are spirits. Satan, being an angel, is a spirit. He does not have a body. Right, children? Satan does not have a body. He is a spirit. And so all those concoctions of a physical being dressed in red is just that. It's fake. It's not real. It's an imagination created in the mind to put some physical thing into our minds so that we can try to grasp Satan. Same thing we do with God. We try to make a golden calf because we want to say this is Jehovah and we want to worship it so we can see it. All those are false. He's a real spiritual being created to serve God. In Job 38, the Lord speaking to Job, questioning him of whether uh, he was there when he laid the foundations of the world. Job, were you there when, when I laid the foundations of the world, he's saying. And he asked, where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. He's asking there if Job was there when... And that last verse we just read. He's asking Job if he was there when all the angels, all of the angels worshipped him. When all the sons of God, those are the angels, all the sons of God shouted for joy. There was a time, friends, when after the angels were created, before man was created, when all the angels worshipped Jehovah. When Satan worshipped and sang his praises. But at some point, we don't know when, Scripture doesn't reveal, it's not important, therefore, Satan rebelled against Jehovah. And because of this rebellion, he was kicked out, cast out, thrown down, cut off from before the Lord. 
And so Satan is a great enemy, a great adversary. As that great adversary, he is the enemy of God. He's the enemy of God. He has other angels also that follow him. And so he's called in Mark 3, the prince of devils. He's the leader of them all, of those devils, those demons. The other angels who were also cast out and rebelled following Satan, the prince of devils. And so we'll hear this morning, uh, Lord willing, from 1 Timothy 3 uh, later, uh, this, this evening, excuse me, which describes Satan's rebellion and pride and called the condemnation of the devil. The devil in great pride led a great number of angels to rebel against Almighty God. And God cast them and the devils, the demons, down. Second Peter chapter 2, it says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. The book of Jude also says, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. And we learn in those two verses in Second Peter 2 and Jude, uh, two things. That the Lord has cast some devils down to hell already. But we know others remain under darkness until the judgment. And those are the ones that uh, interact uh, with this world today. And so when Jehovah made a covenant with man, the devil comes, Genesis 3, man is made in God's image, Satan never got that. right? He, never, he was not made in the image of God. Angels are not made in the image of God. Man is. Satan never got that. He sees God made a covenant with man. Satan never received that covenant. He was never under a covenant like that. If man obeys everything God commands in that first covenant, the covenant of works or the covenant of life, if man obeys everything of God's commands, man will receive eternal life and communion with Him forever. And Satan therefore wanted man to sin, to fall, to rebel, just like he did against Jehovah. And why is that? Because Satan wants to rule over man and darkness. And so he comes to Eve with Adam present. The enemies... uh, uh, He as the enemy comes, he entices Eve and and lures her uh, by his subtleties and tempts her to sin. And that Adam and thus Eve would break covenant with God, rebelling, disobeying the covenant, and thereby destroys communion, life, (coughs) eternal life with God for them forever. And what does Satan lure her with? Pride. If you eat, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. That's what Satan always wanted, so that's what he entices Eve towards. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And Eve was deceived. She ate the fruit. Adam was with her. He said nothing. He eats the fruit. The whole world at that moment plunged into sin, darkness, and death. And that, friends, was the beginning of what the Scriptures call the works of the devil. 
the works of the devil. His kingdom, His reign, His power over the kingdom of darkness. And He is, remember, the prince of the power of the air, the prince of this world. And what is His authority and power? Is it absolute power and absolute authority overall? No. It is only that power and authority that He is granted by God to have. Something Satan will never have because he is created is absolute power and authority. A creature cannot have absolute power and authority. Only the Creator can. God has absolute power and authority and rule. He rules over all things because He's the Creator. That's why Jesus is on the throne. Why can He be on the throne and reign over all for the sake of the church? Because He's the Creator. And consider that Satan is God's devil. Satan is God's devil. He belongs to Jehovah. Any power, any authority, any rule, etc. that the devil has is only derived from God by his permissive will for his glory. He decreed it to be. This power and rule and authority of Satan is due to his own sin. Satan is the introducer of sin. And it's because of this that he is the head of all sinful power and rule over the kingdom of darkness. In verse 8 in our passage it says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. From the beginning he sinned. And as the chief sinner, he sinned against God. He has tempted man to sin, to love sin. And so he has authority and power, rule over sin. Consider guilt. All of mankind is guilty. Condemned because of one man's sin, Adam's sin. That's Romans 5, right? And it was Satan through his luring and temptations that caused Adam and Eve to sin, which brought man under condemnation. And so this is a great delight for the devil. It's exactly what he wanted. It's what he was aiming at. He rebels against Jehovah, and so he loves when man rebels against the Lord too. He loves when man is condemned before God. And so that man won't go near God, but be distant from God. The heart of the sinner, under the domain of darkness has a heart that is condemned, that stands guilty before God. Romans 2 says, "...which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another." So Satan comes, he loves that, that state of man where the law is written on the hearts leaving man without excuse, and yet because of their guilty conscience, in each one, what does the guilty conscience do? What does the guilty conscience always do? It moves man to flee away from God. And that's exactly what Satan wants. If you have a guilty conscience because you're in sin... 
He wants you to flee away from God. And that's why He loves those under darkness. Because that's all they desire to do, to flee from God. Because their hearts are guilty, the Lord says. And they know they're guilty. Or they suppress that knowledge that they're guilty. And so what does the guilty conscience want to do? They want to flee away from God. That's why when we go evangelize, people are so rebellious against God. Because their hearts are guilty. Their consciences are guilty before God. You remember when Adam and Eve, right after they sinned, and they knew that they were guilty before God, what did they do? Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. As if man can hide from God. That's the same thing with the wicked today. They cannot really hide from God. They're just amongst the trees. God knows all. He sees all. But they still try to hide. That's what Adam and Eve did. That's what man does. Satan has power over man. Not absolute power, but he has power over man. They've sinned. They feel guilty because they are guilty. And through his continual temptations and manipulations, man hides from the true God because he's holy. And consider maybe... uh, Second sub-point here. Consider corruption because of sin. Not only that we're guilty, we have guilty consciences, but there's corruption because of sin. Sin polluted and corrupted man so much that every faculty of man is filled with sin. And we can therefore only sin. There's nothing else that can be done except sin. 1 John 3 verse 6. A couple of verses before our passage. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. And then verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. He that committeth sin is of the devil. And you could read that, Christian, and, and be very afraid right now. Because you say, well, I've committed sin. Lots of sin. And therefore, I'm not saved. But that's not what's being said here. Speaking about a continual state of sin based on the grammar, we won't go into that. Anyone who lives in a continual state of sin is of the devil. A continual state of sin is of the devil. Christians do not live in a continual state of sin. Chapter 1. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The natural man, that is, before Christ, the natural man lives in a continual state of sin. The Christian, contrary to the natural man, the Christian seeks after Christ, turning from their sins, confessing their sins, and receiving pardon for their sins. And while they may turn to sin again, they still confess their sins. They still repent of their sins. And that is not living in a continual state of sin. Living in a state of continual sin shows forth that one is under the power of Satan. Where everything you do is sin. That shows you are under the power of Satan. What is it like under the power of Satan and under his dominion? 
Ephesians 2, it says, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature, right, the natural man, we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Total corruption. So you're guilty. If a guilty conscience, there's corruption. There's also bondage. Being under the dominion, the kingdom of Satan, you're in bondage to sin. You're in bondage to sin and Satan. John 8, Jesus says, Whoever, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Servant being in the original, the same word for slave, you're, to give that better picture of what is happening. You're a slave. You're in bondage to sin. If you're outside of Christ, you're under a continual state of sin, then you're a slave to sin. You can do nothing else. You're a slave to it. That's exactly what Satan wants. And so you're under his bondage. A few verses later in John chapter 8, Jesus says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. What is he? He's a liar. A murderer. And so, what do we like to do? By nature. What do we like to do? Murder, lie, slander, gossip. You think of a baby, and this we're praying about a few moments ago. Babies have a, the full protection, Lord willing, full protection in the home, never to see murder or hitting or anything. When they grow to be a toddler, they don't, they don't get a particular toy they really want, and what do they do? They hit you. Why? Because they're a murderer. That's what's in their heart by nature. Right? There's nothing externally that has been shown to them that taught them to do this. And yet inside the heart, there it is, murder. The nature of man, apart from Christ, is sin. And bondage to sin. And therefore bondage to Satan who is the father of it. Think of Exodus 15 as a great illustration of verse 8 as a whole. And the bondage there is but also the being uh, redeemed from that bondage. Israel is under bondage to Pharaoh. Pharaoh represents the good representation of Satan. Israel is under bondage to Pharaoh in darkness. The Lord comes, He sends His mediator to deliver His people from bondage. He sends Moses as a type of Christ and through the Passover land, the blood on the doorpost, Israel is delivered from Satan and his bondage, from Pharaoh. They're set free from bondage through blood. And then death. There's a guilty conscience. There's corruption. There's bondage to sin. Slavery to sin. And death. The wages of sin is death. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. 
That's the covenant of works, the promise, and that's what they did. They sinned, they ate of the tree, and that's what happened. Death. Hebrews 2, And deliver them who through fear of death, fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. They were in bondage, which also led them to fear death. Satan has a power over death. He introduced death, and he uses death to control and manipulate man. Oh, friends, think of it. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Is it not? That's what Scripture says. That's what the Christian hopefully would profess. It's a, it's a fearful thing. Isaiah 22. What is the natural man? It says, And behold joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. And that's repeated in the New Testament as well. How Satan controls man, has power over natural man, even with the fear of death. Man fears death, so what does he do? When living on the earth. Man lives in a worldly way. Let's eat, drink, because tomorrow we die. We need to live our best life now. We need to enjoy all the entertainment, the pleasures, and everything now, because... We're going to die. And I'm afraid of death. But at least I can have a good time now. Fleeing from the Savior, fleeing from the Gospel, fleeing from God, and die. Living as sinful rebels against God. And the conclusion that Scripture gives is that we are all by nature offspring of the devil. He's our Father. He that committed sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. And anyone who, before they believe on Christ, that's you. 1 John chapter 5, it says, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. All are under the power of the devil. Every man, woman, and even the children, by nature, under the power of the devil. Before conversion, before repentance and faith in Christ Jesus, all are under the power and authority of the devil. That's the devil's kingdom. Hopefully you learn something about the devil and how heinous it would be to be under his kingdom. Secondly, the victorious king. That's what the verse is all about, the victorious king. Again, verse 8, it says, He that committed sin is of the devil... For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. And we didn't cover this in Isaiah chapter 9 when we're looking at why was Jesus born? And this is often the one that goes under the radar. People don't say, why was Jesus born? Well, to rule, to be the king, to save us from our sins. What should be included in that? To destroy the works of the devil. That's why he was born. He came into the world to glorify God. He came into the world to do God's will, to redeem His people, to make satisfaction for sin, to usher in the kingdom of God, to save sinners. But He also came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. What if Christ didn't come... 
to do that? Verse 8. What if he didn't come into the world to destroy the works of the devil? Then we would all be still under the power of the devil. We would still have guilt, corruption, bondage, and the fear of death. But all praise and exaltation be unto the Lord because He did send His Son and Christ did come into the world for a purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Genesis 3. This was the plan all along, wasn't it? Right, The fall of man happened, but this was the plan all along because in the midst of the, the curses, the curses come, don't they? Right after that. Because He addresses Eve and then He addresses man and then He addresses the devil and then He brings the curses on the devil. The blessed curses, friends. The grace of God in the curses. The love of God in the curses. Because there in the midst of the curses is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Genesis 3, God speaking to Satan, the curses upon him. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Violent language. The language of war. And this is of a cosmic war between God and the devil, Satan. The promise there in Genesis 3 is that God will come and destroy the works of the devil. That was the promise from the beginning. And we see in our verse, passage, that that's why Christ came. And Christ is the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. And how does He destroy the works of the devil? By overcoming the devil. Luke chapter 11, we heard about this recently, when Jesus is accused of casting out devils, demons, by the devil, Beelzebub. It says there in Luke 11, when a strong man, that's the devil, the strong man, and this verse is the devil, when a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace, but when a stronger than he shall come, Christ, when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. And so in a war, the stronger man, Christ comes in upon and he overcomes the strong, that is the weaker man, the strong man, Satan, and he takes all of his armor, he divides all the spoil. Jesus Christ, the stronger man, who makes war and overcomes the devil. And Christ takes away the devil's weapons, And He makes them of nothing, of no power, no authority. The devil's goods, the spoils. The devil's goods, the people under the kingdom of darkness. And Christ takes those goods and makes them His own. In Matthew's Gospel, some time ago, a long way, a year or so, maybe two years ago, we saw one way in which Christ, in making war, overcame the devil. When Jesus was tempted, Matthew chapter 4. The first Adam fell under the temptations of the devil in Genesis 3. 
The second Adam, that's Christ in the language of Romans 5, must resist and overcome the devil. At the temptation, Matthew 4, after Jesus was in the wilderness and fasted 40 days, 40 nights, the strong man, the devil, the strong man comes to the stronger man, Christ, to tempt him. Jesus desiring bread, because he just fasted. Jesus desiring bread because he had fasted so long, so Satan comes and he tempts him with bread. Jesus came into the world to be the king of his kingdom. The devil tempts him with another kingship. Jesus came into the world to trust in God, to worship Him. And the devil tempts him in his trust in God that he would rather bow down and fall before Him. Satan. And Jesus felt the temptations. But Christ is stronger. And he used the weapon of Scripture, the sword of the Spirit, to fend off the devil's temptation. Jesus was attacked and left unharmed in that war, in the battle, as part of that war. And it says in Luke 4, the same passage as Matthew 4 about the temptation, gives us one small extra detail. The devil departed from him for a season. Because the devil is going to come back and attack again. Matthew chapter 16, Peter confesses Jesus as Christ, the Son of the living God. Praise God for that. And Jesus showed them how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus turned to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Satan comes in the battle, right? In the war. Even through Peter. But the climax of the war comes in the last hours of Jesus' life, of course, at the cross. But they're leading even leading up to the cross. Where every weapon and servant, all the servants and the children of the devil are brought in and are used against Jesus Christ with all their power. So John 14, after the supper, Jesus is teaching His disciples in those last moments before they go to the garden. He's teaching them in those last moments that He has with them. And He says, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh. He's coming to make war with Jesus. Luke 22, in the garden, the priests, the soldiers have come for Jesus to take Him away. He says, When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against Me, but this is your hour. You notice, maybe glossed over what it says right after that. Because you think, yeah, the priests, they're going to do what they're going to do and they're going to take Christ and crucify Him. But He says, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Satan's coming through them. Satan's using them. Satan is using man, everything, to attack Christ. To get him to sin against God. Because if he sins against God, everything comes crashing down and there's no salvation. 
Satan wins, you go all the way, go all. Great logic into that, but we'll stop there. There's no gospel. There's no salvation. The devil comes, John 13. And it says, And the supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. The devil did that. And his power and authority. And this hurts Jesus. This hurt Jesus. Psalm 41. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Judas was Christ's friend. He trusted. Jesus trusted his friend. And what happens when when one who is your friend that you trusted in betrays you, goes against you? Well, you're tempted to come under a lot of unjust anger. And then you start gossiping and all these other things. Jesus did not sin even in this. When Judas betrayed him with the kiss, Judas wasn't his enemy. When Judas kissed him in betrayal, Jesus said, Friend, wherefore art thou come? He calls him friend. Jesus knew Peter would deny him three times. Peter uh, saying again and again, No, I won't. No, I won't. It can't be. It won't be. Luke 22. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, that's Peter. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you. He's going to try to make you war against me. right? He's warring against me and he's going to try to use you. Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as we, but I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. He promises to restore them. He'll never give up on him, never leave him, nor forsake him. And then on the cross, the darkness fills the temple. Excuse me, the darkness fills the, 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 the earth. And uh, the temptations coming upon Christ there. Psalm 22, it describes the temptations coming upon Christ at the cross. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening, uh, ravening and a roaring lion. And that's satanic forces using the Jewish chief priests and other Jews to tempt Christ, even there at the cross. Crying out to Him, right? Matthew 4, the language there of temptation uh, of Christ is, if, if, it's a big word. If thou be the Son of God. Remember that in Matthew 4? If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. If. Matthew 27. If thou be the Son of God. Same language. It's Satan. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. He himself, he cannot save. If, if he be the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. 
He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. All of that is the language of Satan. Through the Jews, the chief priests. If thou be the Son of God. Satan is making war there at the cross with Jesus Christ. How does Christ respond? 1 Peter 2, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him. That's God, to him that judgeth righteously. Jesus never gave in. He resisted the devil, always trusting God. Always doing the Father's will. And that's why Jesus is the victorious king. He overcame Satan in the great war. But Jesus also removed sin in His great victory over Satan. He removed sin. 1 John 3, 5, And ye know that He was manifested to take away sins, and in Him is no sin. Hebrews 2 says, In Jesus coming to destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, that he also made reconciliation for the sins of the people. The same people who were by nature guilty and corrupted and in bondage and slavery and were dying and feared death, he made reconciliation for the sins of the people. Sin is Satan's great weapon. And if you take away sin, you take away the power of the devil. How did Jesus take away sin? Hebrews 2 says, Through death He destroyed him that had the power of death, the devil. Jesus uses Satan's own weapon, sin, to defeat Satan himself. Remember friends in, another illustration, in Esther, Great illustration is Haman. Evil Haman. He set up the gallows. The gallows, not like we often think of gallows where you hang people from a rope around their neck, but rather something like a stake that you put someone on. That's the gallows he's talking about there in Esther. And he set that up for Mordecai. Haman's evil plan uh, was that, to destroy Mordecai. And that is, uh, Esther comes to the king, he reveals that evil plan about Haman, what Haman's going to do. And Haman is called the adversary. Again, another great illustration for Satan, Christ, and what he's doing, and what he's done. And it says then, so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. He uses his own tool, his own weapon. Against them. All the sins of God's people. Think of it. Defeated by his own weapon. And this is what uh, Christ did to destroy the devil. Satan's weapon of sin and death. All those sins of, of God's people. It was through death and sin atoned for that Satan is destroyed. Colossians 2. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. All the sins of God's people are written down. All of our sins, thoughts, words, deeds of of evil, written down. And they're taken, and they're nailed to the cross. 
all nailed unto Jesus Christ. To His account, as He dies for sin, then as our expiation, propitiation, redemption, reconciliation, satisfaction for sin, all those sins are covered over. They're blotted out, they're removed, they're nailed to the cross. Now sin has been taken away on the cross. And Satan is now, now defeated. He's defeated. Next verse. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Speaking of the devil, destroyed. The works of the devil destroyed. Sin removed. And so the devil's power, his works are destroyed. And you ask, well, how though? How is that possible? Isn't he still active? Yes, he is. But though he be like a lion, right? A lion seeking someone to devour. I forget what Puritan says. it. He's like a toothless lion. He's a toothless lion. At the cross, sin is removed. The weapon's destroyed. But today, there's little scuffles. You know at the end of a great war, think of World War II, World War I, whatever, there's, there's little scuffles that happen, little battles here and there that happen right after the war officially ends. The same in this war. And all those battles, the little scuffles, uh, he gets you to sin and tempting you only by you giving way to the sin. You're not doing it because you're by nature doing it. It's only because you're giving in. And when it's all said and done, all the little battles that follow the great war that's already over at following the cross in our day, and after this, Satan will be thrown down into the great lake of fire. But because he is destroyed... There is now victory over Him for the people of God in Christ. So that if you're to come to Christ, you are, because of Christ's victory over the devil, you are now delivered from the guilt of your sin. The guilt of conscience. Romans 5, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who condemns you? The law. And that's removed in this context. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death were made free from. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And is God that justifieth? Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. The devil is, is much like what we find him in, in Zechariah 3. Joshua the priest there uh, says, look at your filthy garments, all your filthy garments, and you you sinner, your clothing is filthy. The Lord says, the Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? The filthy garments have been removed in Christ. 
If you're in Christ, they've been removed. And you have been given righteous garments, white, clean, gorgeous garments, like we read about in the Song of Solomon, chapter 4. And Satan's constant, weak fighting now that he does is accusatory. He keeps saying to us, You're guilty! You're guilty! You're guilty! But you respond in Christ. You respond in Christ. You say, yes, those are my sins. But look at the cross. My sins are nailed there. They're taken care of. They were condemned in His flesh. The blood of Christ hath cleansed me of all my sins. And so you're delivered from the works of the devil. And He may accuse you. He may seek to tempt you. But He has no real power now. It's been taken away in Christ because of His victory over the devil. You are now not only delivered from the guilty conscience, you're also delivered from the corruption of sin. Once we sin, we could only sin. But how now in Christ, by the power of Christ, we're born again by the Spirit. So that Christ has dealt with the guilt of sin and the power of sin. Romans 6, it says, But now being made free from sin... And become servants to God, you have your fruits unto holiness in the end, everlasting life. Now you're no longer in bondage to Satan and sin. Now you are slaves of righteousness. Servants of Christ. Verse 10 of our passage, the children of God are manifest. How? They do righteousness. When we sin, we don't live in it. We rejoice. We rejoice. We hate. We don't, we don't rejoice in it. We, we hate it. We confess that sin. We turn from it back to Christ Jesus, uh, who is our victorious King. Those who come to Christ by faith for salvation from their sins, no longer corrupted by sin, under sin, delivered. They're delivered from the devil and delivered from that bondage. To sin in Christ's victory. Again, Colossians 1, it says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. So no longer under the kingdom of darkness, but now under the kingdom of God's own Son, Jesus Christ. Satan is no longer the master, the king over your heart. Now it is Christ, if you're in Christ, by faith. Satan is no longer father, the father, your father, the devil, right? Satan is no longer father. Jehovah is your father in Christ. 1 John 3, chapter 1, uh, our chapter, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Not a slave, not in bondage anymore to the devil. When he comes, you can defeat him now. You can defeat him now. 1 Peter 5. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. He tells us we can resist Satan in the faith. If you resist the devil, we're also taught he will flee from you. And so, Christian, you are to stand strong in Christ by faith. You can rebuke Him because you're no longer under the bondage and 
and He will flee from you. Just as Christ at the temptation, Matthew 4, He rebuked it, and He fled away. And so follow after Christ. And finally, we're also delivered from the fear of death. 1 Corinthians 15, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. A Christian does not fear death. To live is Christ. To die is gain. What a blessed thing death is. It is the doorway through which you have to go to have eternal communion with your Lord and Savior. These works of the devil, Christ destroyed on the cross. And this is yours if you're in Christ. These works of the devil, no longer yours. A victory, deliverance in Christ alone from Satan. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. And praise God He did so. Do you not desire and want this Christ, this Savior, the Son of God, Jesus, as your deliverer, the one who died on the cross, nailed your sins to the cross? Don't you want that Savior? Shed His blood, delivered His people from the works of the devil? So come today and have Him. He invites you and He will freely forgive all those who come by faith, repenting of their sin to Him. And He'll cleanse you of all your guilt, corruption, delivering you from bondage and death, and grant you everlasting happiness and life in Him. And He pleads with you today to believe. And He promises if you believe, you shall be saved. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give You praise for sending, manifesting Your Son that He would destroy the works of the devil. And we have life in Him and Him alone. Pray that You would grant us greater faith. If we don't have any faith, grant us faith. Send Your Spirit and power and revive Your church. And make us to live and know the great love and peace and comfort that is found in Christ alone. Even from the guilty conscience and corruption and no longer slaves to Satan, nor fearing death. We have no reason to fear death. Lord, we look forward to it. We pray Your will be done. Now, Father, we ask that You would bless us as we turn to the table. You would commune with us by Your Son. And You would grant us greater faith and nourishment in Him. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.